The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? All right, good. Y'all awake? Yep, spring. I'm going to start seeing a lot of y'all nodding off the next month. I've done this long enough to know when it gets pretty outside, you start working in the yard, you start having too much fun, you come in here and catch up on your sleep. That's not going to happen here. But uh, it's so good to see you. It's uh, time to work through chapter 15, our next to last chapter in 1 Corinthians. We will be doing 2 Corinthians as well. But uh, as we approach Easter, it's very appropriate. Chapter 15, uh, Paul is dealing with the resurrection of the body. And, um, you know, the body, when I think of the body, you know, as you know, I turned 50 last week. And so the body is not a very happy subject these days for me because it's just a constant reminder of of sin and our fleshliness and it's decaying and it's dying and it's not what it once was. I like to think I'm 35. I'm mentally still am about 35, but physically not even close. And, uh, but why would Paul feel the need to address this resurrection of the body? Um, it's because this was like the, it seems like he saved the biggest issue for last in his letter. And this is an issue that's going on on the church that most people think that it was tied to this idea of over-spiritualization or over-emphasis on the spirit with a de-emphasizing of the body. And if you think about what we've been seeing in Corinthians, what have we been seeing? They've been getting really ecstatic about spiritual type experiences, making a big deal out of it because it makes them feel like they're spiritually superior. And, And they were getting kind of crazy in the worship service. And Paul said, wait, this service is not about you. It's about Jesus. And the most important thing we want to do when we come together is hear from Jesus. And so he said, that's why the word of God and explaining and enlightening our understanding from the word of God is so very important. That's why we focus on that, Paul says, when we gather. And he's been saying, let's have order. If, if someone's got something to say, let's do it in an orderly way so we can all hear and learn from God because that's what's most important. It's not about you individually. It's about learning from God and, and glorifying Jesus. And so those people who thought they were very spiritual were making a lot of themselves in the service and they were kind of showing out. And Paul says, stop that, be quiet. It's not about you. But those same people who were were overemphasizing that spiritual aspect of their, of their walk seem to probably be de-emphasizing the body and thinking that the body's not a good thing. The body's a bad thing. And as I was thinking about why would they think that, I, why would we think that, or would we ever think that, I think we might fall in that trap sometimes as well. Think about what Paul, the same writer who wrote 1 Corinthians, think about what Paul says here in Ephesians 2 verse 1. And this is how we could make the same mistake if we're not careful. Paul says, describing to believers what life was like when, before you were a believer. He says, and you were dead in your sins, dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. You following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is what it was like before you were a believer, he says. And then he describes it this way. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, he says. Carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. 
and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. So Paul, even in his own teaching, when describing and contrasting the old way of life with the new way of life, uses language like the body and the flesh and, and the mind. And, and then he says, so walk in the spirit. And so we could see how some people, if they're not diligent students of the whole counsel of the word, might misunderstand that and think the body is bad and the spirit is good and that they're at contradiction and, and they're at war with each other. And so if we could just be rid of these bodies, that we'd be okay. And there's sort of an Eastern mysticism to this where, where it's all about empty yourself of the things of this body and just get in touch with your inner self. And that's not the gospel. But what these spiritual overemphasizing, what these spiritual elitists were doing, where they were saying the body is the problem. And I've overcome the body as evidenced by my spiritual speaking in tongues or these other gifts. And apparently they were saying, and therefore, the last thing in the world I want is a resurrection of my body. And so they started teaching and contradicting Paul who taught that Christ will resurrect the body one day. And they started seeing, no, I don't want the body resurrected. The last thing I want is a body because I'm already speaking of tongues of angels. In fact, they might've even said, I'm not gonna die. And so there's this problem, this bad teaching going on in the church that Paul saves for the last and says, wait a minute, this is a huge deal. There are some of you, he's going to say in verse 15 and following, who are denying the bodily resurrection. And he's going to say, if you deny the bodily resurrection, then you're denying the gospel. And if you deny the gospel, then all this is a joke. And so he says, we can't deny the bodily resurrection. And so the portion of our text today, verses 1 through 11, is all about the gospel because his whole point is to say, let me begin with how important the gospel is. And at the heart of that gospel is the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And so he's going to say later, so if you deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus, you've denied the gospel. Or if you deny the bodily resurrection, then you're going to deny the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. If you deny that, you have no gospel. And if you have no gospel, this is all in vain. So today, what we're going to do is just narrow our focus on the significance of the gospel, the content of the gospel, and then the witnesses of the gospel. Lord, we ask for your help this morning. My prayer, Lord, today is that the gospel message itself is crystal clear. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will move powerfully in every single heart that hears this message. Whether it's live or on recording, that when the gospel message is crystal clear, that you will grant faith to believe and that you will save and Lord, that you would make us witnesses of this glorious gospel. So do that this morning in and through us and among us by the power of your spirit through the proclamation of your gospel. And it's in Christ's glorious name we pray. Amen. All right, so first, Paul begins talking about how significant the gospel is. Look at the significance of the gospel in chapter 15, verses one and two. He says, now I would remind you brothers. Now that's important. Let me pause there for a minute. That's important that he says brothers. Really, he's not questioning them. He's, he's trying to reaffirm them. He's saying, look, you're talking about the resurrection not being something important. He goes, let me come back to you brothers. 
brothers who believe the gospel, and let's remember what it was that you believed and how important it is that you don't tamper with this message. He says, now I'll remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. Now remember, Paul came into Corinth and he was tired, he was weak, he says, man, I came in my weakness, and he was stumbling into Corinth, which was just a a real tough town to be in, and he felt God telling him to go there, and he was just tired and worn out, and he just came in and preached the gospel, very simply, not with fanfare, not with fancy words, not with Greek rhetoric, and not, not anything that would be impressive in man's terms, but he just obeyed the Lord, and he came in, and he just testified. Here's the gospel, and we're going to see how simple the message is, how concise this little gospel message is. And what happened? God worked powerfully as that gospel was proclaimed. And then Paul went on to the next town. There was a church that gathered together as the people believed that gospel. God called them to join together around that common confession of faith in that message. So Paul says, you remember now, I want to remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you. And then he says three phrases that indicate this extraordinary eternal significance of this gospel. First of all, he says, of the gospel I preached to you, which number one, which you received, past tense. That gospel I preached and you received it, past tense. And currently, current present tense, and in which you currently stand. And future tense, and by which you are being saved future tense and then a little caveat very important if you hold fast to the word i preached to you unless you believe in vain so in these verses we see the extraordinary significance of the gospel that past tense present tense and future tense everything hinges on the gospel message what you did when you heard it, where you are currently in your relation to that message, and the future, your eternal salvation hinges on this gospel message. So this is significant. Let's think about how significant it is to the church. First, he says that when you, I want to remind you that when you heard this preached, you received it. What we see here is that their common belief, their common confession of, yes, that's true, is the common ground of their existence as a church. The the word ekklesia in Greek is is the word for church. It literally means called out ones. The ek is out, the called out ones. It's like this mass of humanity, and then when the gospel is proclaimed, God calls people out of that lostness to salvation as they say, yes, I believe. And that is a gift of grace. That is a gift of God. It requires faith, but it also is a gift of God's grace at the same time. And so God calls people out of lostness to 
faith in the gospel as it's proclaimed, and that's how the church is formed. That's the identity of church. That's the foundation of the church. Without the preaching of the gospel and without the common faith in the gospel, there is no church. We are not gathered around a common cause of social justice. We are not gathered by our common cause of we believe the Bible's important. Though those are true, we are not gathered around anything else. The identity of the church, the foundation of the church is we believe the gospel that Paul declared and the apostles of Jesus declared. So it's tremendously significant for the church, but it also is tremendously personally significant. We should note that the gospel is significant to the individuals because in verse 2, Paul says, and it is the gospel by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What's Paul saying there? Paul is saying two things, that the believing and the message itself, the believing, he says, is the foundation of your eternal salvation. You're not saved any other way. Paul says in Romans, he says that I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the gospel is the power unto salvation to everyone who believes. The way to be saved is through the gospel message. God saves, but how? Through the proclamation of the gospel. How beautiful are the feet who bring such good news. There is no other way to be saved. You're not saved by the gospel and going to church. You're not saved by the gospel and racial reconciliation. You're not saved by the gospel and social justice. You're not saved by the gospel and being baptized. You're not saved by the gospel and putting money in the offering plate. You're not saved by the gospel and the Lord's Supper. You're not saved by the gospel and having enough quiet times that you feel better about yourself. You're not saved by the gospel plus anything. You're saved by the gospel, period. And Paul says, your eternal salvation hinges on this. Do you believe the gospel? He says, it is by the gospel, the gospel by which you are being saved. You say, well, I don't know. I had some camp experience. And Shreveport, everybody went to a camp sometime in their life and had somebody make you cry. And you go, is that salvation? That's not the right question to ask. The right question is not about the past. It's about right here, right now. Are you standing in the gospel? What is your posture about the gospel right now? I don't know, you don't know what I did last weekend. That's not what I asked you. Right now, if you're standing before God and he says, now, what is your hope of entering into heaven, knowing your, your track record, knowing your heart? There's only one answer. The gospel. What's the gospel? Well, you, God, said that you would give me credit for Jesus' righteousness, that he died for my sins, he was buried, and he rose again. And it is through that that I am saved. 
That's the answer. That's the only thing. Is that currently, is that your present posture? Is that the foundation of your hope for your eternal destiny? That is the only thing that is saving you is the gospel that is proclaimed to you, passed on to you from Jesus to the apostles through the word of God to us. And he says, if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you. So that means not only the holding fast part, which is enabled by grace, enabled by the spirit to have faith. And I want to encourage you, if you currently say, I'm only trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ for my salvation, that's only possible by the spirit of God. And if that is true, then you will hold fast your whole life because the spirit of God enables that. All true believers will hold fast to the end by the grace of God. So we don't live in fear of letting go one day when we are depending solely on God's grace for salvation. But it also implies you hold fast to the word I preach to you, as in do not tweak this message. Don't tweak it. To tweak it is to destroy it. There's only one gospel message, and it's the one that Paul says in just a minute that I delivered to you exactly what was given to me. And it is only that gospel. Now, there are implications of the gospel. There are benefits of the gospel that we emphasize at different seasons in our life and different cultural challenges and all that. But that's not the gospel. The fruit and the root, that's what you've got to distinguish. The gospel, the root of the gospel is what we're going to look at. That Christ died for sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and he was raised according to sisters, not the sisters, according to the scriptures. And then he appeared. That's the gospel. That's the root. The fruit of the gospel are those wonderful things that I've, I've gone through. The baptism and the Lord's Supper and the church attendance and the giving and racial reconciliation and social, and social justice and, and, uh, and, and all those things. Bible study and quiet times. That's the fruit that comes out of the root. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is this thing that saves that we're going to see. Jesus saves by his death, burial, and resurrection. So the question to us all is, what's your current posture towards the gospel? Are you trusting solely in the gospel? Because it is the only hope for salvation. Doesn't matter how much good you do. Apart from the gospel, you cannot be saved. Trust in Christ alone. Our eternal destiny hinges on it. Okay, well, if, if it's that significant, if the gospel is everything, what is it? That's where Paul goes next. Look at verse 3. We get to the heart of the gospel. And this is as cut and dry as you can get it. You want to memorize a verse, or 3 through 5. Memorize verses 3 through 5. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received. 
And then we have what is probably the earliest confessions or creed of the church, meaning they memorized it, they wrote it, they, they recited it so as to keep it precise and not to muddle the waters. But then this was what was passed throughout the churches and all the churches all would say this confession, this, this creed that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. That is the heart of the gospel message. That is the heart of the message. So let's, let's shrink that concise statement even more tightly, and then I'll come back out and expand it. But basically, you can pull that down into two phrases. Two phrases, and then each phrase, if you want to do it this way, two phrases, and then each phrase has a supporting little statement. To, to ground it in objective history, to ground it in reality, to ground it in the physical reality, not some, some otherworldly, just spiritual concepts, but to say, listen to what I'm saying. He says, first of all, the first statement is, Christ died and was buried. Christ died. In fact, Christ so much so that this is so real that he was buried. His corpse was placed in a tomb. So the first statement, Christ died. The second statement, Christ was raised. And he appeared. Christ died. If you don't believe it, his body was buried in a tomb. Objective fact. Observable. Everyone knows it. His body was put in a tomb. Second statement, Christ was raised and he appeared. He appeared. He appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then he appeared to the 12. And then Paul's going to add in just a minute. And he appeared to hundreds of people. This is the heart of the gospel that your eternity hinges upon, that this church is built upon, it is, everything is about this simple two-statement message. But notice he says, according to scriptures. What's he saying there? He's saying all of this happened according to the scriptures. And for them, that was their Old Testament sacred writings. And so what is he saying there? He's not simply saying, there's a few verses that, talk about the death of Jesus in such a way that it is prophetic. It is a detailed description of when Jesus was going to be crucified, buried, and raised. Though that's true, and, and statistically speaking, it's such an incredible improbability that someone could predict it with such great detail that Mathematicians say, that's a miracle. There's no way anyone could have guessed that it would happen that way. And yet that's true. And that in itself is amazing. But he's saying something so much more profound than that. He's not just saying there's some verses that point to that. He's saying the whole message of the scriptures is that Christ died for sins. He was buried and he was raised and he appeared. Well, let's think about it. How do you, what are you talking about? Well, in Genesis, the message is we all rebelled against God. We were created. In Adam, we were born in sin. It's not that our sins were the problem. 
our sins are a fruit of our sinful heart. It's like a tree planted in toxic waste. No matter how beautiful the fruit is, it's laced with poison. And so we see the problem is no matter how good we are, how many good deeds we do, it's laced with sin and does not accredit us for any righteousness. And so we have a problem. We need to be saved from ourselves. And God says, I'm going to take care of this. And the great illustrations throughout the Bible, I'm just going to hit on two or three. Think about when, when Israel was in bondage in, in Egypt, and it's, it's a picture of our bondage to sin. And how did God deliver them on that day of Passover, that first Passover day? He said, if you, anyone, gospel, good news, you can be saved from the coming death plague. How? By trusting my word that if you trust in the unblemished blood, the blood of an unblemished lamb, symbolized by placing this over the house, when the angel of death comes, you will be spared. Those who had faith demonstrated it by their actions and were saved. And then the people of God, called Israel, were given a sacrificial system so that God could be in their midst and they not face the wrath of God. How? Through the sacrificial system, which all hinged on the Day of Atonement. And on that day, which was an annual day of atonement, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and sacrifice the blood of an unblemished lamb... And all throughout the year, their daily sacrifices were a way of saying, we are continuing to rely on the blood of the unblemished lamb as our way of being in the midst of God and not being obliterated because of our sin. And then Isaiah 53 says, very clearly speaks of the lamb of God being sacrificed for the sins of his people. And so the whole point of the Old Testament is it's building a portrait of the Messiah, Hebrew, Greek, Hebrew word in the Old Testament, Messiah, Greek word in New Testament is Christ. They both mean the same thing, the anointed one who will take away the sins of God's people. And so it's all about having a sacrifice for sins. So Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. It doesn't say Jesus died. Why? Because he's making the point of the messianic fulfillment. Christ is a messianic term. Christ, at Thessalonians, he says Jesus. But here he says, in fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, scriptures, the Messiah or Christ died according to the scriptures. And he did that for our sins that we may be made right with God. And so the whole point is, this is the whole point of your Bible. For our sins, for your sins, not just their sins. When we read the New Testament, John the Baptist saw Jesus come and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And at the Last Supper, right before going to the cross, what does Jesus say in instituting the Lord's Supper? My body and my blood is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. He's applying Isaiah 53 to himself. So there's only one gospel message and it has nothing to do with what you can do for Jesus or what you can do for God. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done for you. The question is, what is your posture towards that message?
according to the scriptures, Christ died for our sins. Then he was buried. And he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. This is the heart of the good news. Do you believe this message? It's that simple. Do you believe it? Are you holding fast without tweaking the message? This is the only message that has the power for salvation. So we've seen the significance of the gospel, the content or the heart of the gospel. Finally, Paul tells us there were witnesses to this gospel. Look at verse 6, the witnesses of the gospel. It says, then, now Paul's adding now, he's finished the little creed, and it said, and he, he was raised and he appeared to Cephas. And now he goes, oh, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. So if his appearing to Cephas wasn't enough, if his appearing to the 12 wasn't enough, he also appeared to 500 people at one time. Maybe that's when he ascended. And then he makes the very important point that those people who he appeared to, when we get done with the service, go talk to them because they're still alive. What does that tell you about the message that you are saying you're staking your eternity upon? If you're on trial in a case and you've got, there's jury duty, I've got people right now on their left and right going, I got jury duty. Well, guess what? When you're ever in that position where you're listening to evidence, you want one kind of evidence, the best kind of evidence. You want a lot of people who say, I saw it with my own eyes. You don't want, well, I heard this or I bet this, or if you put two and two together, it must be four. No, I want the best evidence is firsthand eyewitness accounts. Paul's saying hundreds of people saw him alive. He, he sat down with them. He spent meals with him. He ate fish with him. He showed them his hands. He said, listen, this really is me. It's scripture says he gave them many convincing proofs. He wanted them to be certain because he said, now, you've got to be certain that it really is me resurrected from the grave because the future of this message hinges upon you. Hinges upon you taking this message and sharing it as witnesses of what you've seen. <clears throat> so he says, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James. James? He appeared to brother James. James is John's bro uh, Jesus' brother. Now, you know how brothers are. James, the whole time, just like my little brother, doubting everything I said. James is like, my brother's gone crazy. He thinks he's God. It's crazy. They, well, the scriptures made it clear. Jesus' brothers were not believing in him. Well, Jesus got the last word. In the resurrection form, he comes to James and say, I told you I was God's son. And he rose from the grave. And then, then Paul says, and he also appeared to me. Now, it's good to know that Jesus appeared to, to Cephas, and then he appeared to 12, he appeared to 500, he appeared to James. It wasn't like one weird, mystical experience. Maybe they all just saw something and thought, no, 
It is as good as evidence as you can get. Corroborated many different times, many different places. Jesus rose from the grave and he appeared. Then he says, last of all, he appeared as to one untimely born. And that phrase, untimely born, literally the scholars say that that's what they called Paul in this church. That they literally, quote unquote, called him the freak apostle. They were challenging him. They said, he's a freak apostle. He wasn't even, that Jesus didn't even appear to him like he did all the other apostles. And we know from Acts that he appeared to him on the road to Damascus. The resurrected Lord appeared to Paul as Paul was persecuting the church, trying to stamp out people who believed in Jesus. He was throwing them in jail. He was the Jew of all Jews, passionate that, that this church not come to existence. And Jesus appeared to him as the resurrected Savior and said, now you're going to work for me. And that's what an apostle is. A resurrected Savior commissioned him. They saw him in the resurrected form, and he commissioned them to work for him and to be his representative. And so they said, you're some kind of freak apostle. We don't even believe what he says. He's not like the rest of the apostles. And he says, he says last of all, as to one untimely born, as to a freak apostle, he appeared also to me. And then he says, for I am the least of these apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. But he doesn't, doesn't say because of my, my unique way of being called. That's not why I'm the least of these. That's not why Paul says he is the unworthy to be called apostle. He says it's because of my past. He says I was persecuting the church. My own will was not to trust Jesus. My own will was to stamp out these freaks. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. In fact, on the contrary, I worked harder than all those others. I worked harder than any of them, though it wasn't I, but it was the grace of God within me, propelling me, motivating me, moving me. And he looks at the church and he says, so whether it was the other apostles that were preaching the gospel to you or whether it was my preaching to you, the point is this, you believed. You believed this message. So Paul is arguing for his own authority as an apostle, but he's also putting his arms around all the other witnesses and said, they're apostles. The important thing is, you believe this at one time. What are you doing with it today? Because if you tweak this little bit about a resurrection, let me tell you, you got nothing. So the question is this. The application is this. Do you receive the gospel today? We're going to sing a song in just a minute. And what I want you to do, I don't want you to think about the past. I don't want you to think about a past experience. I don't want you to think about past sin or anything. I don't want, forgive me for being blunt, I don't want you to hide behind that. I want you to be confronted today with the message I've been confronted all week as I study this. Tracy, are you about the church? Are you about preaching? Are you about planting this church? Are you about the success of the church? Or are you about Jesus and the gospel?
That's the question we all have to answer today. Do I receive, have I received, am I currently standing, am I being saved by this gospel message? And as I said already, I encourage you that if you are saying yes, that's the gift of the Spirit of God, and you can say, yes, Jesus, keep on holding fast to me, that I will hold fast. The second application is this, like, like Paul who said, what I received, I made it first priority to pass on, to deliver to you exactly what I received. The question is, do you have that same heart that you are like, you and I are like the hundreds of witnesses who have experienced the resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And the question is this, what are you doing with it? Are you passing, are you delivering on the same gospel message that you have received? It was brought to my mind during the first service. I think the magicians were Penn and Teller, the really tall guy and the really short guy. And I never will forget watching a video that the really tall guy says about himself and Christians. And he said, look, I don't believe, I don't believe the Christian message, he said. He said, but if you believe that, that you have eternal life or damnation based on the gospel and what you believe about Jesus. If you believe that as a Christian and you don't share that, how sick is that? That's what an unbeliever says about it. So if we believe that we are saved by believing this gospel message, you are more than capable of understanding it and sharing it. So I'm just asking you this. I'm not asking you to save the world. I'm asking you, who is your one person? Are you saying, God, give me one person? Just give me the privilege of sharing this gospel and seeing one person saved. If we would all do that and commit to doing that this year, just one, let's see what God's going to do. I can't control if the person will be saved, but I can sure control whether I'm praying and, and looking for opportunities and sharing this gospel message. Are you believing and holding fast? Are you standing in the gospel? And will you be a witness to pass on what you've received? Father God, we ask that you would confront us with these questions this morning. My heart's desire is that all of us would do business with you right now. That as we sing this next song, even if we can't sing and pray at the same time, if we would just all do business with you, Lord. I pray that anyone who hears this message through audio or video or right now who's heard this message this morning, that we would all be confronted with this question. Am I currently standing in a position of receiving this message of the gospel? Let that be the question in your heart as we sing this closing song. If we just remain in a time of prayer, I, I would just encourage you to do business with the Lord. Again, it's not about the past. It's not about something you might have decided or experienced in the past. It's not about sin in the past. There's nothing facing us this morning except for this question. What are you doing with the gospel? You've heard it clearly this morning. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, fulfilling the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised and he appeared to Cephas and so many others. 
do you receive this message as Christ died for your sins and will one day resurrect your body as a gift? Not I, but Christ in you. It's in Christ and we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.